Hello and welcome along to episode 12 of A Blank Canvas. Hope you're, hope you're good, hope you're doing well, hope you're having fun, and I hope you've been listening to the last 11 episodes of A Blank Canvas because they're all very, very good episodes. On this episode today, I had a great chat with Dre Harrison. I've known Dre since university, so many moons ago. We won't go into it because it's pretty sad. Uh, Dre is the lead host and founder of Motorsport 101. So he's a motorsport journalist and content creator. He's a great guy, a wholesome guy, a highly knowledgeable guy. And we had a really, really great chat about Formula One. He knows everything. He literally knows everything about motorsports. This is episode 12 of A Blank Canvas with Dre Harrison. Welcome, Welcome to a blank canvas with Cameron Rawson. Cameron Rawson. So we, uh, well, I, I'm I'm actually a real big fan of Formula One, but also of you. Um, <laughs> so I find you a very interesting guy because, firstly, I think you your your Twitter profile, your uh, commentary, your um, reviews your youtube vlogs your pod everything is just so your, your content is amazing and also very wholesome i describe it as it's <laughs> you, you're never out you're never out to uh like hurt anyone in terms of like you know you never you never slag anyone off you're never talking shit about anyone you just you just you know you, you go about things in a really nice way and i love it uh, that's that's very kind of you. I'm sure the checks in the mail, Cameron. But uh, <laughs> but uh, no, no, I appreciate that, mate. Um, no, look, it's it's. I've I've always looked at it like my general attitude has always been try to make the sport as accessible as possible because at the end of the day, Formula One is not a football. It is not one of the big four in America. It's not like a basketball or a baseball where you just it, it's transcendent in terms of popularity where you know you're going to have people watching every single week. Formula One is not as accessible. It's a sport that if you're into it, you're probably really into it. And it's it's not a, a, a casual sort of sport. So I my goal has always been to try and make it a bit more accessible, a bit more you know, open to everybody and to try and make it a bit more relatable than anything else. Because it's it's a sport that's very insular you like it you need Mm. you need a it's it's hard to access it's you know it's hard to climb the ladder you've probably got to have some level of privilege or background to really start climbing the ranks and i'm sure we'll get into that later but (laughs) in generally speaking i mean for me as you know we went to university together and you know for me i was doing this on the side even back then and that was gosh six years ago now oh don't, uh, don't tell me don't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it, it was a while ago but um no like i said it was it was i i just tried to be different that was the, I, I i've been watching motorsport coverage for years and years and years and i've always found its coverage to be a bit stuck up a bit stuffy the internet in general, you seem to get more points these days for being mean for the sake of being mean. And I just well, I, I, I agree. I mm. agree entirely. And that's why I do really like your content. Um, mm. You know, I watched I watched your vlog yesterday. Was it yesterday, yesterday or the day before? Yeah, um, on the George Russell situation. I, yeah, yeah. And it's just, you know, you don't... 
I don't know how you do it because it truly is. It's like I said it at the start, wholesome is the best way to describe it because, you <laughs> do, you know, a lot of people will, as you've just said, will be a bit of a dick for the sake of being a dick to attract attention and being outspoken. But you, you, you know, you, you, you sort of comment on someone's misperformance, pretend, uh, misperformance, but you don't, you, you approach it in a positive way, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I, but it's hard because it was like in, in Formula One in general, I've always said it, we care more about drivers than we do about the cars. Um, and that's natural because I've always been of the opinion that we as human beings will be more attracted to human stories. That's just natural. Like people don't understand the engineering behind the car so much. And like they look nice, they sound nice, but you're not emotionally attached to cars. You're attached to people. Um, well, I, always, I guess, I guess yeah. to sort of go along with that, you never, mm. you never hear someone go, "Oh yeah, I'm a fan of Lewis's car." You know, people yeah. say, "I'm a fan of Lewis's." You know, I'm, you never go, "Oh, I'm a fan of." Uh, yeah, any, well, any any car, it's always the driver, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Now, of course, there's some team allegiances in there as well, especially in the last couple of years. But for me, it's always been more like we talk more about the drivers, the Schumachers, the Hamiltons, the Vettels of the world. We don't talk so much about the cars. So, and I've always said, because as a pundit, drivers are naturally quite hard to evaluate. It's hard for me to go around and say, oh, this guy's shit or this guy's just straight up terrible. Like there's very few examples where you can't have a mitigating factor because the sport is so deep with not just talent, but also like factors like car performance, factors like, you know, the team can have a bad day in terms of strategy. They can mess up a pit stop. They can, you know, you can be taken out by someone else in the middle of a race like it's not as straight as simple as oh this guy sucks bring in this guy like i said the george russell situation i did a video about this a couple days ago like that situation is really not straightforward i know a lot of people got very excited about russell when mm. you know, he he we had that race in sakir that you know by all accounts oh, man, I, I, yeah. I i was uh, you know so well firstly because I, I i can i can literally talk to you all day and mm. i'm sure people people that when they get around to listening to this will really enjoy. But I just want to sort of introduce you for people that don't know mm. you. Mm. So you're Dre Harrison, um, you run Motorsport 101. Uh, it's, it's yours. Um, uh, and I, I guess you're a, well, a content creator around uh, motorsports, yeah. like specifically Formula One, would you say? Or is it just, is it just, is that, is that would you say that's your strong point? Yeah, it's my strongest point. I mean, I also do MotoGP and IndyCar over in the United States. So I've, I've been a two-wheel fan just as much as I've been a four-wheel fan for about 15, 20 years now. But um, I've I always wanted to do content creation. And I originally started out on YouTube back in 2011. And I, I just played it. Was, it was, I was a gamer back then. I was a hardcore gamer. And I, I just bought a, a capture card. And the first thing I ever uploaded on it was, was, a, was a simple online race of me playing F1 2010 and it, mm, nice. it, it it just stuck with me um since then and uh, it's just it's stuck with me ever since then and when i was in uni and the final year of my degree came up um it was a matter of either do a ten thousand word dissertation um which you know is, 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 <laughs> no no like, if, if, if that's optional never take that option on why would you ever do that to yourself but um but the second option was do a special project relating to media and I'd always wanted to do a podcast. And this was back in, gosh, 20, 2014 now. And 
Like, that's how Motorsport 101 was born. It was just, and I've always joked about this whenever someone's interviewed me about the show or anything like that. I've always said it was a university project that got way out of hand because for the original project, <laughs> I was only ever meant to do 10 episodes. I did 10 episodes, I had a 10 episode run, I put it all on the website. I showed it off and shout out to my mentor, Sue Bowerman, who was a tremendous right, inspiration. Right, and, woman, and, love her. A, a wonderful woman and, and tremendous support towards me when I was in uni. And she was like, Dre, run with this. It's really goddamn good. And I was just like, you know what? People, and then when I started to put it out there, people seemed to really enjoy it. And then I was like, would you guys want to just want to hear more than 10 of these? And they were like, yeah, yeah. And uh, they have. And now we just finished recording episode 283 six, six years <laughs> later. So, you know, it's, it's, it, I, I, that's the joke I've always gone with. Is it, it, it was a uni project that, that went out of hand and that's kind of how it's been. The YouTube channel's always been there. I've always been a keen writer. Um, and... Well, I think you're fantastic, mate. I, oh, I think you're, you're, a, you're a natural content creator. Mm. Um, I think that's a sort of a, a good umbrella. Um, it's a, a good umbrella term to describe everything. Uh, that you sure. do because obviously you you you're a great writer you're fantastic when it's down to being behind the microphone in front of the camera um you know, like i said you, you i really i've been really excited to talk to you and um <laughs> for, for a for a, you know a, a several reasons one to to pick your brain about formula one because i've mm. I, i've i've been a probably a fan of formula one you know since the start of this season the season that's just finished which right. is crazy to think because as you said at the start, when you become a fan of Formula One, you're a fan of Formula One. Oh yeah. Um, and ironically, if it, what worked for, what worked for me and is clearly working for Formula One is I got into Formula One through the route of the Netflix series. Right. So that's what that's what got me into Formula One, and I imagine that's the its purpose really is to is to get people involved with the sport. Yeah, exactly. Look, here's a confession exclusively on this podcast: I've never watched Drive to Survive. And the reason why is because... You've never, you've never watched it? No. And, and and the good reason for that is because it really wasn't built for me. I, like, I've, I've already had, you know, people tell me about the series and I, I, I had a good idea of what it was going to be. And Well, it's a big... It's a, it's a big... From someone who's seen it and also mm. uh, now truly understanding the business and everything behind yeah. Formula One, it really is just a marketing tool and oh, gosh, it's shiny, yeah. it's shiny, it's clean... It's well edited. Obviously, they've got full access because it's Formula One that makes it. Of course, um, you know it's it's uh, and it, it every, even the bad bits um, made out. To, you know, they'll never discuss any anything controversial because it's it's to make it out to be this clean, um, you know, non chaotic, uh, non you know, you know, it's, it's to make it as as open as possible to as many people as possible. Yeah. Um, so if okay, so for someone who uh, cause I, again going back on what you said regarding Formula One as a sport, it's one where I think you're you're either all in or you're not at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, so for those that maybe have dabbled into Formula One, I feel like it's, it's I feel like it is quite a complicated sport. It is. Look, I, I'm I'm not going to beat around the bush. Like, the reason I said like drive to survive isn't for me is because. I already know the store very well and I already know I'm very knowledgeable on it you know, to my own horn a little bit here like it was made for people that knew were fans it's very slick very well put together it highlights a lot of the good things in the sport and you know shits it out to the masses but you're right it is a comp- it is not like most sports like you can boil a lot of sports in general down to a rather mundane task like for example with football 
you know, it's, it is really literally 22 men and or women kicking a, kicking a ball around a, a, a 100 meter pitch and sticking the ball in the net. In Formula One, it's, there is like, it is intimidating on the outside looking in because you're talking about the most advanced technology in the world when it comes to, you know, car production, performance, engineering, maintenance, and like, even if I can boil it down to something as simple as like school, for example, you've got to know your physics and you've got, you know, you, you know, you've got to know science and maths and engineering on a hardcore level to even start thinking about getting into a sport like that. If you, for example, if you're looking for jobs in that area, like well, I mean, so, speaking of jobs, hmm. sorry to interrupt. Sure. A, a friend of mine, her, a friend of mine, her friend uh, is one of those six degrees of separation, but. Basically, yeah. a friend of mine, her friend is a aerodynamicist for Racing Point. Right, right. And and to think that there is a job title in a sport which is aerodynamicist, yeah. it's like, aerodynamicist engineer. It's it's crazy to think that. You it's, know, in football, yeah. you've you've got a physio. You know, um, <laughs> where, not to undermine physios at all because they do a no, great job. But what I'm saying is, is that you know, you, you know, you've got. You've got a chief sporting director that may have a master's in engineering from Oxford, or do you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. It's such it's such an interesting, um, well, yeah, an interesting sport. Absolutely. I mean, like like I said, it, it's 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 hard to to fathom on a basic level because it is so intimidating from a technological or engineering standpoint. Like I said, it's it's so difficult to wrap your head around some of the details that some of this goes to from engineering to maths to maintenance to travel to all of that like formula one is so unique as a sport compared to most other ones and not just the technical ability of it the, the obviously the ability of the driver and those two things coming together you know the transport in, in, involved you know the, the amount of money that circulated not only when it comes to winning trying to climb the ranks trying to climb the ladder there is nothing conventional about this sport compared to most of the other big ones we all know and know and associate ourselves with or ones that we know and watch on TV like, it is so incredibly unique in, in the way it's in the way it's broadcasted, in the way it's presented, in the way that you know the sport functions, it's it's incredibly complicated, and that is why I know a lot of people are genuinely put off because they like they tell me, oh, it's, it's either two answers, like the most common ones I get. It's either number one, they're just going round in a circle over and over again, which is a really simple response to it, or it's the, <laughs> the fact they're so intimidated by some of the numbers and the detail, or just not getting it that they get put off by it, which is why I think Drafters did such a good job because I think what it does is, is that it highlights some of the personality and adds more of that human element to a sport that you could argue on face value doesn't have that sort of image where, you know, it's easy to get caught up in the engineering side of it or the technology side of it. And, you know, obviously the cars and the performance of it all rather than just oh, you know, Marcus Rathford kicks ball into the back of a net. You know, that's very simple sometimes on face value, whereas Formula 1's is anything but. So, yeah, it's 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 very hard to draw those comparisons because it's not straightforward to explain at all. <laughs> when I have conversations with friends about Formula 1, they ask me why I like it, and mm. it, it, I can't really ever give a straight answer, but then they also say to me, is it, it, and it is a common thing, and I'm not just making this up, they say, is it just not, is it not just, 20 men 20 rich men who are just doing it for fun you know it's mm. it's a it, it's because it, it is a very 
it's it's a, it's a touchy subject, I think, within the sport. Oh, yeah. I'm saying this as if I'm a commentator on Sky Sports One myself, but um, <laughs> uh, it, it's it's a uh, m- the money aspect. The, the, it's you know paid for seats. When I, when I first heard that, I was like, what what is this? Yeah, I went onto Reddit to to read about it, and I was like, it blew my mind. Mm. Like for Latifi's a good example. His dad oh, yeah. is the CEO or owner of Safina, is it? Yeah, yep, yep. Spot on. His dad is Michael Latifi, and he used to, yeah, he owns Safina. He is a multi billionaire. He used to own a stake in the McLaren team as well. <laughs> uh, a team that is one of the most likable teams on Twitter, but is also partly owned, I think 50% owned by the Bahraini royal family. So, you know, it's, there is a rabbit hole you can get into here. And like, I, I can well, understand. Yeah. yeah. I can yeah, understand why people would say, for example, that, you know, oh, it's just a rich boy's playground because to a degree it absolutely is like I'm not denying this um, and that's one of the most unique things about this sport that people clock on to I mean you look at the Formula 2 situation this year with Callum Eilert as a peak example of that where on paper he was second in the Formula 2 championship which is the junior series to Formula 1 um, on paper he'd probably get an F1 seat but Obviously, the story's been quite touchy recently. The Nikita Mazepin, whose dad, again, is a multi-billionaire in Russia, has, you know, funded money towards an F1 team to buy a seat. Again, this doesn't happen in most sports. For example, again, easy example. If you're in football, if you're talented and you have the right access to opportunities, you will climb the ladder because it's all done on skill and merit. Formula One Mm. is precisely not that. Like, you need money and access to climb the ladder. I mean, ironically, with football, you could argue that it's... that I think people like a success story and teams probably like it when a football player hasn't come from wealth and right. potentially poverty. It, it, it's like, because it's it's nice to see. Like Rashford is, is, is a is a perfect role model for someone who's come from a, a poor background. Absolutely. To, to, to playing for arguably one of the better teams in the world. Not saying they're the best. But, Not right um, now, but... <laughs> no, but yeah, so. um, but yeah, sorry, carry on. No, no but as I was saying is that, yeah, you're, you're spot on. We like, again, like, we like human stories. Marcus Rashford came from a single parent home, very poor background. We normally love a story like that. Formula One is the complete opposite. Lewis Hamilton is the nearest per- example we have to a working class hero in Formula One. And he really technically wasn't that because, you, you know, he had a lot of people sign his checks on the way up. But there's no getting around that. And, to put it into perspective, can, can we just can we just talk about that very sure, quickly? Because sure. I'm curious myself. Because every time I've googled stuff to do with Lewis Hamilton, it seems like there's people actively uh, Mercedes are actively have people deleting stuff from the internet to do with it. Because <laughs> I've obviously they don't. But um, no. uh, though that's one nice conspiracy theory for any F1 theory, uh, conspiracy theorists out there. Of course. Um, but um, I do find it fascinating. Again. Because it is a, a a big money game, but Lewis Hamilton's story seems so. Um, I'm a big fan of his, but his story seems very blurred. Like I, I, I hear different things, or I've read different things to his success and mm-hmm. what have you. So, what, what what do you know? What do I know? I know that um, the one the story that is most well known is that his dad. Um, again, he, he grew up single parents. In his parents, but when he was two, he lived with his dad. He's, he wanted to get into karting and climb the ladder that way. Um, and his dad was like, look, you keep studying. You keep doing what you do. I'll I'll have to find a way to get around this. And his dad took a redundancy at the IT firm he was working, and he worked three jobs to keep, to, you know, to keep the funding going so he could take his son out to all these karting events. Now, 
he got eyed up by McLaren when he was 10 years old, around that sort of age. He was wow. he, he was he was famous wow. on he, he had an appearance on Blue Peter back um, back when he was a child as well. And obviously Blue Peter is yeah, Blue Peter was obviously a much bigger deal now or back then than it is now. Obviously yeah, children's yeah, yeah. TV in general doesn't get watched as much, but back then that was still flagship CBBC show of course. So, you know, he he got a lot of publicity off of that. Look, they thought Hamilton was going to be special from the time he was a child. You know, there was no way McLaren wasn't going to let someone like that slip through the fingers. As they, 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 they we needed uh, the next big thing in terms of Formula One, in terms of a British standpoint, because we had Jensen Button. He'd been around for a little while by that point, but he wasn't ever looking like he was going to be a guy that could win a world championship until he did. <laughs> but uh, you know, in two thousand and nine, that's just such a for a different day. But Hamilton debuted in Formula One two years prior to that. Um, and do you think there's a certain level of luck with Hamilton's success story, or is like right place, right time, or? I, I yeah, I look. I, I I'm not, and this is not. Uh, people are going to hunt me down for saying this, right? But hear me out for a second here. There is an element of luck to every great driver's success in this sport because this sport is I so totally agree. Yeah, it, this this sport is so wrapped wrapped up in timing, money, and politics where if the wrong person misses you, if you get your timing wrong, if the seats aren't available, you will just miss out. That's just how unfortunately cookie crumbles. I think I think a good example is George Russell is it right now is a an mm. example of being with with luck and then also you've got I mean this it's, it's this is again what I find fascinating is for example Sergio Perez doesn't as it stands have he doesn't have a seat for next year when I think he's an incredible driver myself oh yeah um, and then you've and then also you've got someone like um nico hulkenberg who mm-hmm. there's all these drivers there's all these drivers and then you've got all the all the reserve drivers who you know may have won who's is it um who's the mercedes reserve driver who won formula two Stoffel many years van Dorn. Ago? yeah yeah like it, it, there's all these people all these people and then you see all these people who have raced uh le mans and all, all, all these there's just the, it's such a I don't even know where I'm going with this. It just blows my mind massively how many drivers are overlooked. And it's just, you know, I mean, it's ironic again with uh, speaking of all the money, the fact that Perez brings, brings such massive sponsorship in oh, yeah. and yet still doesn't have a seat for next year. Yeah, people don't know. He's, he's sponsored by Telmex, which is the Mexican equivalent of BT. Like, you know, they, they, <laughs> they, they, they've got money out the arse. Like, it, it's, it's, he's funded by Carlos Slim, who's one of the richest men on the planet, you know? So, um, and Mexico has got a huge fan base for sport like like if you're mexican for example if you can box you'll be super popular like does, does they get behind you in mexico like that like paris is one of the top three or four biggest sporting names in all of mexico he's like our hamilton in his home country it's he's massive like when they when they race in america fifty thousand fans will cross the border just to see him race like it's wow. it's 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 mental because obviously the American Grand Prix in Texas, so it's right on the border between them and Mexico. And, and you're absolutely right. I completely agree. Sergio Perez is driving like a top five dude on the planet right now. He is in. He's on fire. He's in, he's in tremendous form. Just won his first Grand Prix at Sakir last week, and that was an amazing story. It was his 190th Grand Prix, the longest anyone's ever had to wait for their first Grand Prix win in their career. Wow. Um, the beats the record. He seems like six- such a great dude as well. From he just seems oh, yeah. like a. 
you never hear anything dodgy. He doesn't put dumb shit on social media. Not really. It just no. seems. I, I, I think he's got. A, has he got a child as well? I'm sure he mentioned. Yeah, he's got. He's got a son at home. Yeah, yeah. He's only 30 years old. In the, the day. I mean, look. I completely agree. He should be on the grid for next year. But earlier on in the season, Sebastian Vettel became a free agent. And if you're a middle of the road team like Racing Point, who's just been bought by Aston Martin, big frigging brand over here in the UK. You know, they want to make a big splash, make a big statement for their first year as a full-blown team in, in the sport. You're not going to get um, the opportunity to sign someone like Sebastian Vettel very often, even if he's going for a bad patch at Ferrari right now. You don't get to say you're signing a four-time world champion very often. And we all know that, for better or worse, Lance Stroll is the owner's son. He's good in his own right, but if, but he's not the sexy pick like Sergio Perez is. So, of course, when Perez was the one that was going to lose his job for Sebastian Vettel, all the fans got pissy about it on the internet. There was a valid argument for both. And we all know that, that Lawrence Stroll, who's going to you know, own this Aston Martin conglomerate and run this team next year, he's not going to cut his own child you know, at the end of the day. So we all knew where it's... It would make for great... Um... Great talk, a great talking point, wouldn't it? If that oh, was to happen, it'll be fantastic for season three of Drive to Survive. If yeah, Lawrence Stroll goes through the process of sacking his own son, I mean that that would be like peak Netflix right there. If don't want that were to happen, but real everyone with with a rational head could see that you know there was a huge pro in signing. Sebastian Vettel to that team, and then obviously Sergio Perez had to be the unfortunate one to miss out, and it's doubly sad because. Perez has done a lot for that team. When when they were Force India only two years ago, he put the team in administration because they were about to go bankrupt and putting them in administration was able to save all their jobs. You know, um, financially speaking, the team had gone bust. VJ Malia, who used to own the team, is also famous on a Netflix show, I think, called Bad Boy Billionaires for yeah, yeah. F- for good reason. Um, uh, if you want to get into that, you can find it on Netflix. Yeah, I, mean, I don't need to go into too much detail on that, <laughs> but let's just say bit bent. Um, but uh, the point is, is that when they went bankrupt, Perez put the team in administration, so basically no jobs or and they can switch over to the Racing Point team we now know and, and love today in pink. Um, so Perez has done an awful lot for that team over the years. So for him to you know to suddenly lose his job and you have a break clause activated in his contract like that, it hurt a lot of people in the heart because he's a brilliant driver. There's no denying it. He is a top five or six guy in the field right now, pound for pound, in my humble opinion. And there is a very real possibility he won't be on the grid next year. And I, again, to round it all into an earlier point you made. It is all about timing. It is all about politics. I mean, Perez would absolutely still be in that seat right now if Ferrari decided to keep Sebastian Vettel and not replace him with Carlos Sainz back at Christmas. You know, so... so what, what, what's what's happening with Ferrari? What, what What's going on? Uh, I mean, I, I guess that's a... Uh, you know, it's this is the thing. This is the thing, man. I, 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 I have... So, uh, this, there's so many things that I'd love to talk to. And I, I won't bring everything up because we'd be here until the start of the next season. Um... <laughs> But yeah, I mean, what what is happening with Ferrari? This is one of their worst years. I mean, I was actually I was on the Discord channel with some of my co-presenters for the for the show, and we're talking about this during qualifying about an hour and a half ago. And 
like one of my co-presenters, a guy called Cam Buckley, turned around and said, Dre, when was the last time Ferrari had a season this bad? And I started firing up Wikipedia and going back through seasons trying to think, when was the last time Ferrari was sixth in the constructors? I didn't stop till I got to 1980. 40 years wow. ago was the last time Ferrari finished sixth in the constructors championship. And that's probably where they're going to stand, barring a miracle tomorrow, which is unlikely, um, again, given where they are in qualifying and again, you know, Charles Leclerc barely making the top 10, Vettel down in, I think it's 13th place for tomorrow in his last race for the team. Um, for me, personally, it, I think it boils back to last season. Um, you may have heard something about this, but last season, Ferrari had a really powerful car in terms of when it came to engine power. They had probably the fastest cars in a straight line in the field. And it was well harnessed by Charles Leclerc, their new star driver, um, had eight pole positions last year, snagged the pole trophy. Now, the team was badly managed. There's no getting around that. There was team order scandals. You know, there was issues regarding strategy, issues with pit stops. It was just badly managed in general. There was a couple of incidents as well, obviously like the, the incident in Brazil where they both hit each other and they were both taken out of a race when they were running third and fourth. So there, there was a lot of messy incidents, but the big one was, was that there was a lot of rumblings amongst other teams in the field that their engine wasn't legal. They were um, being a bit naughty, were they? They, were being, they might have been a bit naughty. Then the FIA had a look. The, um, the like the, everyone that wasn't powered by Ferrari lodged a formal protest to the FIA who run the sport <laughs> saying could you have a look at their power unit please we're not sure about it um, and the FIA went to Ferrari and was like okay what's going on here Ferrari were like well we don't want to reveal our intellectual property on our power unit and, and whatnot." so apparently there was a handshake deal between Ferrari and the FIA that they weren't going to reveal what had happened as a result of their investigation. It was all kept under wraps, which pissed off everybody else. It was like, well, what's go- how do we know what's going on here now? Because they've had, a- so dodgy. they've had a handshake agreement on something that we don't know about. And then all of a sudden, by coincidence, Ferrari, when they started this season in 2020 after the pandemic, had its initial first wave. When it came back, everyone was like, why is Ferrari now suddenly gone from like one of the best power units to one of the worst um which makes people think there was probably something dodgy underneath it last year that they've gotten rid of for this year and in exchange they'll get rid of it to keep their name and basically out of people's mouths to have this handshake agreement for this investigation that may or may not have happened to remove a part or something part of their system that may or may not have been illegal and ferrari's kind of been fighting that ever since you could also make the case that maybe basically lying about keeping Sebastian Vettel over the last off season and then basically trying to blame COVID-19 as a reason why we're cutting your star driver and the man that's won 14 Grand Prix for you um, might piss off his motivation somewhat if you've basically told him over the winter that you're not keeping him. And alleged- Do you think that's what's happened then with Vettel? You think he's just thought, fuck this, um, they've, they've show- they're showing me no respect here. Because um, from an outside, from a, from a from a fan and somebody who's not as involved as yourself, mm. it, that's what it looks like. It, it looks like Ferrari are like, yeah, we don't care about you anymore. Well, I think I, you know what I can't <laughs> say for sure, but I think there could be an element of that at play. To, to, for semantic context, they gave Charles Leclerc, their other driver, a, a young man that had come through the ranks extremely quickly, won the Formula Two title two um two or three years ago, um, in his second year in the team. 
going into his second year in the sport in Formula One, got into the Ferrari factory team, which is very, very unlikely. He's the youngest Ferrari driver in 60 years, basically. So it's like Ferrari don't normally go after younger drivers. They normally will wait for some experience and then bring in some experience names. Leclerc was seen as the golden child. Um, the future of that team. And they made a big investment in him last year by giving him a five-year contract extension. Michael Schumacher didn't get five-year extensions when he was at Ferrari. Like, I'll tell you that for free. They made a big investment in, in tying down Charles Leclerc to this big contract, saying, you're the future of this team. And Sebastian Vettel was on the last year of his old contract because he was on a five-year deal when he joined them. It was more like a three plus two. They gave him a three-year deal with the option for another two. They took the option for the other two years. Um, so this current season we're in now is the last year of his current contract. Um, allegedly, and again, I, don't, I can't say this 100% for sure, but the way that Zach Brown and McLaren spoken about it, I'm inclined to believe him. Um, Carlos Sainz, who's driving for McLaren right now, asked Zach Brown just before Christmas, so just after the last season finished, can I speak to Ferrari? They've been in contact. And Zach Brown was like, yeah, sure, of course, I'm going to honor that. You know, um, if you want to talk to Ferrari, that's your right. Um, so allegedly, Ferrari had a plan to replace him with Carlos Sainz for 2021 before this season had even started. Um, And when the news started dropping that Vettel was going to leave Ferrari, I think this was early February of this year, which already feels like five years ago due to COVID-19, but here we are. Um, When we got to that point, it was apparently Vettel himself that leaked it to the German media that, yeah, they're kicking me out of the team at the end of the year. So that everybody, so everybody had to scramble. Like Ferrari apparently had to scramble around and make the big announcement that oh yeah, we're signing Carlos Sainz for instead for twenty uh, for twenty twenty one, and then McLaren had to counter them by saying oh yeah, we're signing Daniel Ricciardo to replace Carlos Sainz. Obviously, the, the the chain of driver moves moves and whereabouts was all caused by Vettel leaking it to the to the German press. Basically, yeah. Um, in essence, so but so but when the time we got to the, the time we had a race actually start for the year in in i think it was back in june now went back in austria um their team boss Matteo bonotto basically said that it was due to covid19 we, need, we needed to make financial cutbacks Vettel was on big money so given that zach brown who again owns mclaren uh, runs the mclaren team said oh no carlos wanted to talk to ferrari back in december it basically outed ferrari as liars <laughs> essentially saying that you know you're lying to the press right. saying that saying that oh yeah you're cutting him for financial reasons or due to covid you're making cutbacks and whatnot no one believed them because it had already basically been revealed that the talks had been since christmas so like six months earlier so it could easily be a valid reason as to why Sebastian maybe isn't 100% fully motivated because if you if you believe what other people have said, and these are good sources, these are people that are in the paddock and obviously have got their own teams to run, you can piece it together like a puzzle and you can work out that Vettel probably already knew about a year ago that this was going to be his last year of the team anyway. And of the only issue was, was he going to retire? Because there was obviously not a lot of big name seats up in the air. Um, Mercedes have got there too with Hamilton and Bottas. Red Bull, there was a minor possibility that he might go back, obviously because he had his most successful years with them. But Red Bull generally stick to within their own um, in terms of their own driver academy and promoting people in-house. 
nobody else was on that sort of level. So it was actually a bit of a surprise when he ended up at Racing Point, and that'll be obviously happening next year. But um, it all pieces back together about politics and timing. And, you know, look, we're talking about Lewis Hamilton now as probably one of the greatest drivers of all time. And he, we would never have this conversation if he stuck with McLaren at the end of 2012. Like him going to Mercedes in 2013 was the one of the big, most history-defining changes of a team in modern I history. Think, I think that the actual racing itself is well. Sorry, I think that the business of the Formula One itself, itself is as exciting as the race itself. Oh yeah, you know, it's, it's it's not it's it's not like you know it's not like the sport finishes when the the Grand Prix is on a Sunday evening or afternoon. You know, the, the, there's always news coming out about it, as there is with any any sport. But I feel like with mm. Formula One, you know, there's 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 so many moving parts, literally. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> um, that 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 there's always there's always something exciting happening. I mean, like for example, was it last week or the week before? Um, I saw um, one of the Formula One. Uh, I can't remember which website it was, but their Instagram put up a, a graphic of everything that had happened this week, and I was like, wow. Like it was, it was to do with uh, mm, Haas mm. signing Mick Schumacher and was it Ma- Ma- Mazepin? Is yeah, Nikita Mazepin. Yeah, yeah, Mazepin. Um, and then uh, you know Ed, Ed Russell being with Mercedes and everything that was going on. So there's, it's, I find that very exciting. Um, there's something I, I want to ask because it does confuse the hell out of me, and sure. that is why, why, for example, does McLaren have a Renault engine and not a McLaren engine? Something like that is what is what always confuses me. And furthermore, Red Bull have a Aston Martin brand branding on their car, but it's a Honda engine. Yeah, it's these are all the things that I'm like, I'm like, okay, this makes no sense. Yeah, look, I I completely get what you mean. Um, again, on the outside looking in, that would be really confusing. Long story <laughs> short, not everybody makes power units. These are incredibly high tech they are hybrid power units then they they run off an internal combustion engine like you normally know in any car but also they have a hybrid unit so a, a system all based on electricity electricity um to produce extra power that's the really basic way of me describing how these things are they are enormous they are incredibly expensive um and it's generally speaking the fia wants to keep their sport as road relevant as possible because obviously if you've you've been paying attention to the news in general hybrid is the way forward more and more electric cars are being made as opposed to petrol diesel and whatnot that's slowly now being phased out i think by 2030 2035 we're probably gonna not sell petrol and diesel anymore um the problem was from a sporting aspect was that these were ludicrously expensive compared to the previous generations of engines this was in 2013, we had V8s. We had naturally aspirated V8s. They produced about 600 horsepower, and they were, relatively speaking, quite cheap. When they went to hybrids, they cost hundreds of millions of pounds, and not everyone can afford to develop those sorts of power units because they're ludicrously expensive. Um, only th- when, we, when this hybrid era started in 2014, there was only three producers of these of these power units, and they were... Ferrari, Mercedes, and Renault. Um, Generally speaking, the Mercedes ones were the best. That's how we have the Lewis Hamilton era we've had today because he joined Mercedes and they're the factory team. Um, And they had the best power units on the field. And 
So you know when uh, when when a driver is hearing their engineer say something on the lines of like, or what, we're talking about power, like so can they like essentially? I imagine it's not as simple as pressing a button, but along the lines of on their steering wheel, um, are they able to basically like sort of how I envision it is like a you know like a, a battery bar on an iPhone or on a, on a phone, and they can be like right. I want to use that much extra power. Can they do that? Is that how it essentially works? In, in its yeah, in its simplest term, that's exactly how it works. Like basically, they have obviously they have their standard engine, but they also have an electrical power unit. Um, and how they do it is that they will map it where the hybrid part of the of the power unit will kick in, where the, the team wants the extra power. Um, it's also kinetically recharged via the brakes, so the excess heat that the brakes generate will also regen energy that back is into incredible. the battery. I didn't know yeah. that. That yeah. is absolutely incredible. Yeah. It, it's insane you know, technology. The, the, yeah. I, I feel like the people who don't get enough credit are those that are in the factory, the engineers oh, God, who yeah. are making this shit. I mean, I you know what? I couldn't I couldn't tell you one I couldn't tell you the name of one engineer in in, in any team. Yeah. Um, they're, they're the unsung which, heroes. which is fascinating. You know, so uh, something that I've got written down on my my, pa- my, my paper here and that is do you think that it's 50-50 the driver and the car or do you think it's 80% the car 20% the driver or what's what what do you think as as just a broad I know it's a very difficult question mm, because mm. I think it's you can't really give a I don't think anyone on the planet is allowed to get well is it obviously allowed to but as in that I don't think anyone is able to give a right answer I think it's obviously a matter of opinion but I'd of like course. yours on that uh, oh man um long story short I think it's 80-20 to the car. And and, and that, it's not the sexy answer because I know a lot of people want it to be all about the driver. And yes, the driver absolutely makes a level of difference. There's, I'm not, I'm not, like I'd argue, I'd argue the whole combination of car and driver is a puzzle. And while the it's like a puzzle, but the driver's the really big piece in the middle. Um, and of course, of course, when it comes down to it in the clutch, the driver will make the difference. And, you know, a good driver can get you maybe half a second a lap. I'm not denying this, but there is no salvage in a shit car in this sport. Like, <laughs> like, like as much as, and unfortunately we as fans get very defensive about this element of our sport where it's like, oh, you're just downplaying Hamilton's achievements if you say it's all about the car. Because I know another big athlete, Ronnie O'Sullivan, did that a couple of weeks ago when he talked about how, oh, you know, he can afford to make a few more mistakes. He's, he's, his car's better than everybody else's. And a lot of people jumped on him for those comments and to which I was sitting there saying, he's kind of got a point, like in the sense of, Yes, it was a harsh comment I, I, because it is not as simple as that. And uh, look, Hamilton is by a mile the best driver in the field right now. Like there is no denying that if you if you watch the sport on a regular basis. But he, he, it's also not unfair to point out he's also got one of the greatest cars that the sport has ever seen um, underneath him as well. That yeah, will probably give him a slightly bigger margin of error than driving a Red Bull or a Ferrari because. The Mercedes is one of the best cars ever. It has completely dominated this sport for the last seven years now, you know. Um, and of course, in those very fine margins, Hamilton will make a big difference over his teammate Valtteri Bottas, a Sebastian Vettel, or Max Verstappen, or anybody else in the field. But a good driver or an elite driver is not going to save a bad car. If you dropped Lewis Hamilton 
in, you know, a Haas or a Williams right now. He's not going to suddenly turn them into a race winner. Like, like the, the, the differences between a good car and a bad car are far greater, in my opinion, than the differences between a good driver and a bad it's, one. It's, <laughs> it's definitely something you see on social media. I mean, I, oh, I, yeah. I enjoy just... Just quickly, firstly, before we talk about social media, do you think it can be quite a toxic place, Formula One, when it's down to uh, social, Formula One social media, not the actual uh, Twitter not accounts the actual themselves, page, no, but no, as no. in, yeah, 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 but as in like the, you know, fans and, and people who are very opinionated. It's it's funny because I've said this before, I think until about a couple of years ago, I think it was actually quite peaceful. I thought it was actually genuinely a good place where you could, where Twitter, for example, I'm, I'm a big Twitter user. Um, that's my bread and butter when it comes to social media for me and the show. Um, until a couple of years, you could have those big discussions with people and it was great. And, you know, it was literally like being in the pub with your mates. And, and, and I found that fascinating. It makes me part of the pundit of what I am today is often as part of it is learning of other people because I'm still only 28 years old. I'm not. I'm not going to claim like I'm some sort of oracle of the sports knowledge. People have been around watching this even longer than I have. So learning off those guys is great. I can't believe I'm going to ironically say this, but I think Drive to Survive has made it a little bit worse in the sense of it's brought in a lot of new fans. And look, at its core, that is a good thing um, because this sport is not going to gain new fans in any other way. We're on we're behind big paywalls. Mm. You've got to pay big money on Sky Sports to watch every single Grand Prix. Formula One used to be on free-to-air for like 15-odd years until 2008. Then it went to the BBC, wow. and then it went on to Sky in 2013. So it's all big... Like A lot of the big sports are now behind paywalls. So if you're in the UK like we are, like football, for example, you know, more and more of it is being put behind a Sky or a BT Sport paywall. It's, it's the same for a lot of sports um, that... that you know that's a second that's economics for you but you know what i find mm. sorry to interrupt no, you know what i find quite ironic and that is uh i feel like from what i've seen of formula in the past i feel like right now it's the least competitive in the sense of yeah definitely um the, the drivers are just enjoying racing each other they're not there's no like real public hate to one another there's no you know it's still exciting they're still racing but it's kind of like a pleasant racing if that makes sense yeah so completely. whilst the drivers are being being more relaxed you've got fans who are flipping the switch and going full ag you know they're going oh yeah super yeah, yeah aggressive and keyboard warriors 110 percent agree with you there look I, i've said it before like this like formula one had this reputation for years and years of years of being this hardcore ultra competitive sport of basically being mean and willing to like oh are you willing to die on a racing track you know, that hardcore you know ultra masculine ultra competitive personification of the sport like the centers and the prostitute of, of, of my childhood um and you're right i think in the last couple of years it's gotten a lot friendlier i think a lot of that ultra competitive nature was died down i remember seeing imola a few weeks ago when george russell was running tenth, which would have been a miracle point for the Williams team, who've been struggling all year long, have not scored a point the whole way through. There was a safety car. George Russell spins out from tenth. He's, he wrecks his car. He's done for the day. 
He's on he's on the outside pit wall in tears. Can't believe the mistake he's made. And Lewis Hamilton's on his Instagram page saying, bad luck, mate. It will come. Don't worry about it. And Romain Grosjean, another guy, and God bless him. Thank God he's all right after that enormous fire yeah, from two weeks ago. Absolutely. You know, he, he commented on his page saying, oh, don't worry, man. You're a brilliant talent. You know, it's going to be just fine. Your chance will come. And I'm like, wow, it's genuinely a really wholesome, likable grid. It's like, the, it's uh, like they're actually, fr- like actually friends. Yeah. Like, look, like George I mean, Russell, even like Carla, like yeah. Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz, like I, I love that. I truly love their um, wholesome friendship, and I, I really do hope that it is a real friendship they've got. And it's like with Daniel Ricciardo and Max Verstappen. I, I find, I find the, the some of the friendships. I really hope that they're legit because oh, I God, do yeah. love it. And look, I, I think they're genuine as all heck. I think, I mean, Ricciardo and Verstappen often travel back back home together. And when we had the pandemic, before we got started with, with racing, we had Lando Norris, George Russell, Alex Albon and Charles Leclerc all streaming on Twitch, playing games against each other, sim racing. You know, there was the eSports series that Formula One had as well that had a flock of the drivers on the grid. And like they are as far as i'm aware they're genuine friends and look russell norris and albon literally grew up together they raced together as children you know they like they've stuck up for each other in interviews they're genuine mates and like it's genuinely refreshing to see like these ultra hardcore racing drivers actually be a bit more human which again goes hand in hand with your other point that you made that I completely agree. I think the fan side of Formula One has become a lot more territorial like football in the last mm. couple of years where there's a lot of diehard Lando Norris fans because, again, he's absolutely pulling a lot of new fans because he appeals, I think, to a younger audience. He's got his own YouTube channel with Team Quadrant. He's got a bunch of my mates on there as, as collaborations on Team Quadrant on there. He's tapping into the YouTube market. He streams regularly. He was a big player of Fall Guys when that came out earlier in the year. You know, he was playing with like Ninja and some big streamers. It's yeah, crazy. yeah, absolutely. Like Ninja and the Sidemen. You know, massive, massive YouTube popularities. Um, you know, and he's appealing to an audience that Formula One has never tapped into before. It's never been a massive appealer to maybe like the Gen Z sort of type or the Liberty you know, Media is it Liberty Media that own Formula 1 yes 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 they they must love Lando Norris oh god yeah he, he's, a, he's a bankable social media star like Formula 1's not had someone like that I, I think for the more high end you've got Lewis Hamilton now who's tapped more into music and fashion and activism and that's fantastic Lando's tapping into that younger crowd, the, the YouTube generation, the guys that are watching more YouTube than they are television, the guys that are watching Twitch more frequently, you know, guys that are into the Sidemen or these younger audiences. Formula One's never had that sort of marketability before, and they've got someone like that with Lando Norris. I saw him win, win an award on the Radio One show the other day from Greg James on his breakfast show because he he, he sung that Friday song in warming up his radio at Mugello. Because it's little things like that that make a big difference and can appeal to a whole new audience that we've never had before. So it's memeable, isn't it? What yeah, absolutely memeable. Yeah, but, um... yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is because. For, like Formula One was so ancient with social media until Liberty bought it off Bernie Eccleston. I think it was God five years ago now. Like Formula One barely even had a Facebook page. Like then they didn't even have a YouTube account until like a, a proper one until 2015. You know, so they are wow. so far behind everywhere else when it comes to 
like like there was no semblance of social media it's why it had the reputation of being an old man's game because you talk about all these old guys that can't work facebook or can't work youtube that old stereotype that's exactly what the sport was until about five years ago they've massively improved in that area but with their youtube coverage they're on every social media platform you can think of you know and they've had to adapt to the times and they've played catch up but they've got the stars to do it now as far as i'm concerned so yeah it, it, it is funny how i think the sport is less competitive in terms of at each other's next than they've were before and it's that some of that old stereotype about it being you know big manly men you know bracing each other being hardcore and being ruthless i think some of that has gone away and i think it's only a good thing because it makes these guys seem more human and like that's how you're going to appeal to more people like it's one thing opening up a a book or putting a, a dvd of it and center in your drive and watching what it was like for him to drive 20 years ago but it's much more relatable to see someone like Lando Norris streaming Fall Guys in 2020. It's just a lot more Absolutely, relevant. I agree. Um, and that's how we get to know these guys as people. And I think I've said it before from the top of the show. If you like someone like that, and like, it's obviously with social media has made everybody more accessible than they've ever been before. Like 20 years ago, you would never be talking about following Michael Schumacher on a page or something like that, or, <laughs> or following Amika Hakkinen on Twitter, but now we can. And now these guys are talking to us and they're interacting with fans on, and of course there's drawbacks that come with that because of course not everybody is nice on social media. And as I've said, fans have gotten a bit more like football in the last couple of years or it's a lot more territorial like oh, i'm i'm a lando norris fan you george russell fans can suck my dick or whatever you know it's <laughs> it's it's it, it's starting to go that way and that does worry me a little bit but like compared to where we were at five years ago the game has changed massively and i think it's only a good thing in the long run that it's it's gotten that way it's it's only a good thing so do you think next season is, it's it, without sounding cliche, is set to be extremely exciting with everything that's going to be happening? No, <laughs> is the short answer for that. Um, the only reason I say that is because the rule set is not- I'm glad you did. Like, I'm I, glad you didn't say yes. <laughs> um, look, I'm going to be honest with you guys. And if you guys are newer to the sport, please don't let me put this off. Give it a shot by all means, but I'm going to be completely honest here. 70% of the cars are staying the same for next year. There's only very minor tweaks to the rule book. Um, the, the big difference will be the, the, the cost cap. Uh, teams can only spend so much money over the course of a calendar year, and that's only a Does good thing. Does that start from next year? It starts from next year, yes. And um, it's only a good thing because the, the money needed to run these teams is nine digits a year. You're talking Mercedes are spending 250 to $300 million a year on car development it is an insane amount of money so that, that's ex that's excluding paying hamilton any of their staff is that purely for just um, ca just car development like hamilton's getting 40 million on his own per year like as in the, he is in terms of salaries he's i think top three in the world where he comes up short is endorsement money because formula one owns their image rights so like compared to football where either your club will handle your image rights for you or you have your own and then you can challenge and obviously you can negotiate your own fees and whatnot depending see. on where you want is this to why appear. is this why every team it's a bit like humor for example mm. so, so yeah is it, is, like they've, the clubs yeah. have yeah the like, clubs have got ex like some for example 
it depends on who makes your shirts. Like Manchester United signed a seventy-five million pound deal to have Adidas make their kits, um, whereas individuals are sponsored by the brands themselves. That's why Neymar, for example, just switched to Puma because they were willing to give him a big old check. And then Puma's not like the first name you think of when it comes to shoes, but of course not. You're thinking Nike, Adidas, Jordan, etc. But they can negotiate their own contracts. It's not that simple in Formula One because they don't own their image rights. So the, That's interesting. the drive, yeah, the drivers don't make anywhere near the same in endorsement money. Like, like in terms of base salary, they're right. He's right up there with the very biggest names like Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi, LeBron James. But where those guys make their money is endorsements, like brand deals. You know, um, like selling products, like like Usain Bolt, for example. For, like he still makes like twenty plus million a year off a of Puma just to sell shoes and whatnot. Or for example, I'll give you a better example, Valentino Rossi, who still is in the twilight of his two wheel career in MotoGP, but still makes thirty million a year in merchandise sales. Like it's wow. yeah, people love yellow, <laughs> like they really do. But it's 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 silly money. But the whole thing is is that. The cost cap might make a difference, uh, not for now, probably in the long term, because it will it will bring some of the smaller teams into play, because there's only so much you can spend over a calendar year. the The problem is, is that the cars are largely staying the same. The big change is going to be in 2022 when they have these radically new designed cars. With the hopefully they're aiming, they 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 have less downforce on the top of the car so that they can actually race each other a little bit harder. They don't have to be, you know, chasing their tails or needing, you know, to open their rear wings to overtake people. Um, hopefully they can run closer so we can get some better wheel-to-wheel racing. But I'm not going to lie to you and pretend like the 2021 season is going to be uber exciting. Expect Mercedes to run away with it again next year. Um, <laughs> I, I'm just te- I'm just telling you that now. Like, yeah, Mike, you, you got a little bit of hope for 2022, given there'll be a big radical set of rule changes and brand new cars that hopefully, you know, might make the racing a little bit closer and, you know, could fire up some more unpredictable results. But like we've seen Sergio Perez and Pierre Gasly win freak races this year. They are freak races for a reason. That's not the norm. And, you know, Mercs are, uh, Mercs this season have been as good as they've ever been. Um, they, we thought that the sport was maybe just starting to catch them up a little bit before 2020. And then Mercs are just curb stomping again, you know, <laughs> again this year. So, um, I would say, Pin your hopes for 2022 because 2021 is probably going to be more of the same. Great. Uh, I mean, I say great, but not great. <laughs> I know, um, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm going to finish on a question which I ask all my guests. Yeah. Um, I don't think you're aware of this question, but that is, if I gave you a blank canvas, what would you paint on it and why? That's a great question. Um, a blank canvas. I would... Oh, I, I, I would probably paint. I would probably paint a, a, a portrait of, of Michael Schumacher driving off into the sunset because. Oh, I, that's amazing, mate! What uh, an answer. And, and I, I say that because Michael was my first sporting hero when I grew up. I was eight years old when I first started watching this sport, and um, it was a bond that me and my dad shared. And my dad's not a big part of my life anymore, unfortunately, but. 
he got me into sports. Like, like my mum handled all the heavy lifting from a parenting standpoint. But, like, it was, my love of sports came from my dad. And it was sitting on his lap watching. It was, it was Michael Schumacher on four wheels and it was Valentino Rossi on two. Those were the two big passions in his life. And his passion kind of became my passion. And that's kind of what's made me the content creator I am today. I wouldn't be sitting here talking about it or doing it or having the opportunities I've had if it wasn't for that. So if I had a blank canvas, it would probably circle back to that, I would say. So something along those lines. Fantastic answer. <laughs> and that kind of sums you up as being the uh, great guy you are, mate. And <laughs> Appreciate that, man. You know, very, like I said, I, I, I describe you as a, as a, as a, as a good round, good rounded, wholesome individual. And it's been a pleasure talking to you it really has. I've had a lot of fun. So thank you very much. My um, pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. It's <laughs> been great.